Greetings, everyone. I pray that all is well with you and your families, and thank you for being here. I also want to thank Dr. David Williams and his wonderful team for the awesome opportunity to share with you God's word. I am in awe of the effort and hard work they have put in given our current circumstances to ascertain that we can worship together. Uh, thank you. And the time that is ours to share, I want you to recall the text that was read for us earlier, Revelation chapter 4, as we treat the subject above the fray, above the fray. And I would like to begin like this. 2020 and 2021 have been a bit more than most people could handle. The pandemic and all of its problems have become part of our daily struggles quarantine, isolation, loneliness, depression, health problems, loss of family members, delayed plans, frustrations in relationships, troubled marriages, and struggles with virtual class and distance learning are the pressing issues of our day-to-day -day while confined to our homes. Problems that we have faced before, but they have been exacerbated by the conditions. The pandemic has also featured some of the worst things in society, hate crimes, social injustices, discrimination, job loss, financial struggles, and extreme political polarization. All of this makes us feel that things are out of control and they are just too much to handle. In the midst of the fray, men and women, boys and girls, young and old are losing perspective and have become uncertain of what the immediate future holds. Meanwhile, the enemy of our souls has taken full advantage to discourage, to spread fear and hopelessness. How long until the storm is over? How does one change perspective or have the right perspective in such uncertain times? The book of Revelation has a threefold structure along with a prologue and an epilogue. Each major section begins with a vision of what God is doing and together the three visions give a complete picture of his salvific activities. It is also interesting to note that in each major section before God speaks of any event, describes any creature, make any prediction, before putting anything before us to cipher, God reveals himself. Let me pause here and suggest to you that it would do us well to seek God every morning before we tackle the day, before we undertake any project, before we make any major decision. The vision in Revelation chapter 4 is often called the throne room, and it contains precious gems for us today. John, the revelator, the last of the apostles, the beloved apostle, found himself in a tough situation where he was persecuted, quarantined, if you will, and left for dead because he was preaching Christ. Greco-Roman society was hostile to him and to the community of believers to which he belonged because of their refusal to participate in emperor worship. Uncertainty surrounded John and the community as to what the immediate future holds because their present situation was gloomy and dark. The temple had been destroyed. Paul, Peter, James, and all the other apostles had been killed. So far, I think it is safe to conclude that as a human being, John is uh, taking in a lot, and it's just a bit much for him to take in. And we can see why perhaps John might have been 
feeling a little discouraged, a little bit frustrated and vulnerable. This vision is God's invitation to his people to rise above the fray of their current situation and see things from his point of view and see things from his perspective. It is God's answer to their frustration. It's, it is God assuring them and acquieting their fears. This is not the first time that God has done stuff like this. The Old Testament is replete with instances where God people are frustrated, where God's people are frustrated by current events. God gives visions to the to, 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 to his people, to, to the prophets, to Micah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and so on in order to encourage them. But Isaiah chapter 6 in particular, in the year that King Uzziah died, the occasion of the empty throne caused a lot of stress to the people of God. They feared that the enemies of Israel would attack them. They feared that the economy would fail. They feared the political influence of the kingdom would wane and even feared that God would abandon them. And these situations when earthly kingdoms and conditions are hostile to God's people, frustrate their lives, cause them pain, push them on the brink of despair and uncertainty is overwhelming, the Lord has a tendency to show himself on the throne and reassure his people. It is always an invitation to look up above the fray and focus on him. When we can see God for who he truly is, I believe, it changes our perspective and reassures us. Just as John and first century Christians were having a rough time, I believe that today we are having a rough time. I know I have. It is in the midst of the fray, the, the situations that we're facing, um, that God often comes and reveals himself and reassures us. And God did it for first century Christians. And I believe that through this vision, he wants to do the same thing for us today. I know you're familiar with the text. You're familiar with the vision, with the beautiful language that um, <clears throat> that is used to describe what's going on. But there are three things I want to uh, just glean out of the text and then let you go. And the first thing I want you to notice is that um, um, the first thing I want you to, to, to see is that the throne is a symbol of God's sovereignty. The throne is a symbol of God's sovereignty. The word throne occurs 14 times in this chapter. And God makes it a point to demonstrate to the reader that all activities taking place are oriented towards the throne. The one who sits on the throne commands the attention of everyone and is the focus of all activities taking place, meaning that God has supreme authority and control. Down here, you and I may not have control over everything. We may not have control over COVID. We may not have control over who gets it or who doesn't. We don't have control over these things, but I want you to know that God has control of the situation. God has control over our lives. He has control over our loved ones. He has control over what happens to us. God has control of our over our present situation, and he has control of what is taking place while we are in quarantine while we are con, um, constrained to our homes or while we, we are cons, uh, um, constrained within a country. 
I don't know what the situation might be for you because a lot of states are open and things are happening, but I just want you to know that God is in control of your situation. I want you to type right now that God has control of my situation. He has control of your situation. God is in control over your immediate future and your final de destination. Just the other day, I was feeling low and sad dealing with this confinement situation. Have not been in um, um, in-person worship for some time. And then God puts this song in my mouth, a song I learned while I was just a little boy. He's got the whole world in his hands. I don't know what you're going through or might be going through, but God wants you to know he's got it under control and that he is bigger and has authority over your situation. He's got the whole world in his hand, was able to lift me up. The text calls him Holy Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He is in control of time and history. God has control of you and of your situation, your marriage, your education. He's in control of all of it. Not only does God have control of you over your situation, the throne is also a place of God's grace. The throne is also a place of God's grace. The throne as a symbol of God's sovereignty often scares us. When we think of the throne, we tend to think of the transcendence and otherness of God. You will notice that verse 3 speaks of both the one who sits on the throne and what is around the throne. I also want you to see how John has shy away from giving a human description and a name to the one who sits on the throne. He quickly turns to the throne and what is around the throne because that's where he wants the focus to be and that's where the focus is. He says a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Um, I know that in our time, the rainbow has become somewhat of a controversial um, subject or matter because of how a minority group has used it. Even now, Europe's soccer governing body, UEFA, is being pressured by some to light up stadiums in rainbow color in support of a certain lifestyle. But the text is reminding us that the rainbow is a symbol of God's covenant, his faithfulness, his grace, and mercy, his unconditional love, and relentless commitment to fallen humanity. The throne is also a throne of grace. In times of distress, of sorrow, and pain, and uncertainty, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I am certain that if you look back um, and see that despite everything that has happened last year, this year, God has not failed you yet. If you look back carefully, you can trace his hand and his grace. Jeremiah says it best. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. His grace has got your past covered. It is sustaining you now in the present and more grace awaits you in the future. Some things God may not be able to take away, but he has promised that his grace is sufficient for you. The last time we saw 
the rainbow in scripture or the most um, um, known uh, uh, time we know uh, uh, the, we saw the symbol in scripture is Noah, when Noah found grace in the sight of God. God made a promise that he would not destroy the world by water. But I want you to know that God's throne is a throne of grace. No matter what you're going through, you can go to the throne and find strength. You can commune with God and he will give you grace. His grace is sufficient. Not only is the throne a symbol of God's sovereignty, not only is the throne a symbol of God's grace, but the throne allows us to see how God is able to champion our situation and to champion our lives. I believe that once we have experienced God's grace and truly see God for who he truly is, worship flows out of us. It changes our perspective. It changes the way we see things. Verse 4 through 11 lets us know that worship is going on in the throne, in the throne room, and it lets us know who's worshiping and who is being worshiped. Scholars did not all agree on this, but the 24 elders that you see within the text and the uh, four living creatures that you see are symbolic of uh, saints that have uh, um, from the Old and New Testament that God has uh, championed and brought up there. And it is also symbolic of the angelic host leading worship. So John gets a glimpse from God of those who did not give up, of those who stuck it out with God and made it beyond their troubles and made it above the fray. I want you to notice that once they realized what God was able to do uh, to, 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 to save them, what God was able to do to uh, bring them up, into heaven with him, then they begin to worship God and they are actively participating in worship. And you can see in the text that there is a movement. They were sitting on the throne and they are now, they have now fallen on their knees. And not only this, they're not just participating for participation's sake. Something is going on in their minds once they realize the awesomeness of God, his grace, his love, his mercy, his sovereignty. They cast their crowns at his feet and said, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. They are worshiping and that is their heart worshiping God. It's an amazing thing once you experience God and know how much he loves us, how much he cares about us, and still how much he wants to use our circumstances and situation to shape us for his glory. You, you see their current situation, Domitian wanted to be worshiped. He proclaimed himself Lord God, he wanted Christians to give up on the true God, but because they refused, he persecuted them. He put them in isolation. He quarantined John, and he even killed many of the apostles. But God and his grace, who has all power, has brought them through these trials and tribulations, even back from death. God can bring you back from divorce. 
He can bring you back from your failed exams. He can bring you back from your failed courses. God can soften the heart of your teachers, but you have to study. God is just simply so amazing. And as a result, worship flows out of them. Can we just pause and celebrate God for a minute? He is faithful and true. He is holy and righteous. He is unrivaled and uncontested. He is almighty yet gracious. He is good. He is a friend. He is my peace. He is my shelter. He is my provider and my sustainer. He is my confident, my day one, my one and only. He is my Lord and my King. He is my God. He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. They were worshiping him, not simply because he has saved them, but because he is Lord and God and creator of all things. I want to encourage you to remain strong. I know that it is tough for many of you. Um, for a lot of you, the community um, at Andrews was probably the only positive community that you had. And this pandemic has made it very difficult for you to be with your friends, with those that are dear to you, the place that is your place of safety. But I want you to trust God. I want to encourage you to keep trusting him. He has not left you alone. You, you see, Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust the Lord. Don't give up on him yet. Don't allow the enemy to discourage you. Don't allow the enemy to make you doubt God. He has not left you alone. He is gracious. He's in control. He's in control of your situation. Don't give up on God yet. He is going to take care of you. There are some that are isolated. I want you to give them a call. Let them know God loves them. He cares about them. And he wants them to, uh, um, to be cheerful because... He is coming soon. He's going to rescue them from their situation. He is right by their sides. You're hearing all of this and you're probably asking, preacher, I've heard you, but how do I rise above the free? Well, that is also within the text. The first thing I want you to notice is there is an invitation given to John. So I want you to accept the invitation. The text says he calls John to come up. God is always calling us to himself. He says in Isaiah, um, come, let us reason together. And you will notice in Revelation 3.21, here is Jesus. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and day with me. To the one who was victorious, I will give the right to sit with me, what? On my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Yes, Jesus is inviting us to open the doors of our hearts, to accept his invitation. And when we do, he guarantees that we will sit with him on the throne if we remain faithful, because he can make sure that we are victorious. Secondly, I want you to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, in your situation. You will notice that the text says, at once, I was in the spirit. That's what John says. John says, at once, I was in the spirit. And if you go back to the seven churches, you'll notice that every message ends with whoever has ears, 
let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is to say, if you've got ears, use them. The Spirit is always there to lead, to direct in every situation. Be sensitive to what God's Spirit is doing in your life. God has not left you by yourself. He's with you. He's in control of your situation. He's going to give you grace to sustain you, to keep you, um, to, to keep you, to help you grow. And he is definitely, definitely going to be right by your side. He knows what's going on. Listen, I don't know what your situation is, but I know God has got your back. And he wants you to know that he's got your back. Pause with me as we say a simple prayer. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for the promise that you are always with us. There isn't a promise in the Bible that is repeated more often than this promise, that you are with us. In fact, it is in your very name, Emmanuel, God with us. The last promise that you made, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. You said to the disciples, it's expedient for you that I go so that I can send the helper, the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you alone. I will come to you. We thank you for such wonderful promises. And I pray, Father, for those that are depressed, for those that are lonely, for those that are feeling abandoned, for those that are feeling the consequences of COVID-19 health issues, those that have financial troubles, unable to take care of, of their bills, I pray, oh God, that you answer their needs and that you take care of their situations. Let them know that you are with them. Make them feel your presence because you have never left us abandoned. Thank you so much, oh God, for your presence, for everyone. And I pray that your grace strengthens us your grace uplifts us and help us to rise above the free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful day.